This is our third week here in the, in the book of Daniel, uh, living in Babylon. And before we even get into Daniel, I wanted to share with you something that relates to this in terms of a verse. It kind of get, hits on the theme here. And that is from the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 24. So if you don't already have a Bible around you, you'll pull out your device or pull out your Bible. And because uh, there's so much scripture that we're hitting on in Daniel, you're just going to want to, when, when we get there, just, you're going to want to have that available to you. Um, so uh, Joshua 24, um, you've ever heard that phrase, you got to pick a side? You have to pick a side, right? Sometimes, you know, and I'll just admit to you guys, like, you know, my personality type is I just don't like to ruffle feathers. But when you're in ministry, it's just going to happen, okay? When, you, uh, when you're living for Jesus, it's just going to happen. You're going to ruffle some feathers, right? There's going to be some people that don't like uh, the things that, that the God tells us are so. And, so, uh, and sometimes, though, uh, you might be tempted to compromise and and kind of, in a sense, sometimes without even knowing it, uh, go down the stream of the culture and uh, and compromise what the scriptures say. Sometimes it's because we don't know what the scriptures say about something, uh, and therefore, in a sense, our ignorance uh, has caused us to go along with the culture. When in some cases the scriptures will say no, this is the truth is this, not what the culture says, um, and so on. So. Um, you got to pick a side. There are going to be times where you're going, there's no, there's no fence sitting. There's no gray area. It, sometimes it's very clear what the scripture teaches. And uh, the three young men that we're going to read about today were faced with a very, um, something that was very clear, black and white. There was no gray area to what they were being asked to do. And so uh, they had to take a stand. And that stand was going to cost them dearly. And so when I read uh, about this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, it reminds me of this, you got to pick a side. It says, now therefore, right? Uh, It says, now therefore, fear the Lord. This is Joshua speaking. Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served, served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua is issuing basically a challenge. You got to serve somebody. Choose this day whom you will serve. And of course, he's hoping they're going to choose the Lord our God, right? The one true God. But, he says, but I think it just really does uh, bring to light this reality that you are, as that popular song says, you're going to serve somebody. Okay, you will. Uh, you are worshiping something, someone. Okay, and so um, the challenge is, uh, have you made that commitment to serve the Lord your God, to stay true to him, to be faithful to him and his ways? right? Regardless. And that's going to be the challenges before us today. So let's, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help this morning. Heavenly, Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in just a very challenging passage. Uh, some of us might read this uh, or may have heard of this 
uh, in a children's book or in Sunday school years ago. Um, but we should make no mistake, this was real. These people were facing death because of their faith. And um, life and death was set before them that day, and uh, they had to choose. And Lord, um, maybe it's not always so clearly life and death with us, but maybe, uh, maybe we were compromising our faith. Maybe we're compromising what the Scriptures say to accommodate a culture that is not going to be so liking the scriptural point of view. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us to stand firm. Help us to not be washed down the stream and be caught up in every wind of doctrine, as the scripture says, that kind of um, moves us back and forth. And let us be solid in in our convictions, Lord. Help us to be a people of the book that are solidly know what it says and know how it applies. Uh, And Lord, uh, I pray too, I just want to take some time to pray for our church family and for our friends and family who might be sick right now, who might be ill. And Lord, we just pray. We pray for healing for their bodies. We pray for a restoration um, of their their bodies. Whatever's wrong, Lord, we pray you fix it. And so, Lord, we also just pray for those that maybe a dark clouds over their lives. Maybe they're really experiencing depression. We pray, Lord, that that cloud would lift. We pray that you deliver them from that. Pray that they put their hope in you and, and continue to battle. Sometimes there are physical things that are going on that cause that. We pray for healing there. Or for those that are spiritually related, we pray for deliverance, Lord. And we, we ask for your help today. Help us to get it. Help us to understand your word today and, and to stand on it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So kind of like last time, we're going to kind of do this in chunks. I'm going to kind of read um, little bits and then talk about it and read a little more and talk about it. It's about the best way I know to handle some larger passages of Scripture um, and, and so as to keep within the time, which I think you'd appreciate as well. So um, now, so Daniel chapter 3, uh, let's not forget the big picture here, right? I kind of keep bringing this up every week. I think by the end you'll be able to quote it by the time we get to chapter 12. Uh, just that the message of the book as a whole, we have to keep in mind. And you will see every week relates back to this theme, the theme of the book of uh, Daniel. And how do you get this? Well, it's not explicitly stated, but as you read it and read it over, you see that we're, we're learning that contrary to appearances, God is in control, and he calls his people to live faithfully where he has put them. And that's the challenge, right? That is the challenge, and it's the challenge of the day today, okay? God calls us uh, to live faithfully in this time. He has put us in this time, in this place here, living in, in, in the Columbus, Ohio area, right, in 2020. And he has a purpose for our being here, and as believers, uh, wants us to let our light shine, and to stand on the truth as well. So what's the first thing we come up on here in these first seven verses is the king's command to worship an idol. All right, so let me read uh, some of this here. These first uh, seven verses says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six, uh, six cubits. Now that's like 90 feet high, nine feet wide. It's a strange proportion. Okay, it's really tall and not very wide, all right, this image. And so 
uh, says he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image uh, that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So you're going to see these lists repeated, okay? And that often happens when an author of Scripture is writing and they want to emphasize something. They'll, they'll either give you lists and they'll, or they'll repeat things. And you'll see a couple of things repeated here. You'll get the lists that all these people were there. They were all witnesses to this. There are people from, who spoke different languages from different areas, but yet were under the rule and the reign of Babylon, okay? And so all these people are, are, are being called to witness this dedication of this idol, okay, of this idol. And the other thing that you will see repeated throughout is the phrase, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It keeps saying he set this up, he set this up, he's the one that did it, okay? Uh, so that will be repeated. So let's keep going here. Um, verse 3, then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You see the setup, right? Okay, verse 4 goes on to say, it says, and the herald proclaims. So here's somebody, you know, the hear ye, hear ye, right? He says, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Wasn't that just a pleasant little thing, right? Um, when, the, when the band starts up, you got to bow down to this idol or you will be immediately ushered into our new fiery furnace, all fired up for you, right? That's what that's what's the choice is here. And so it says in verse 7, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the porn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So here they are. All right, they're all there, gathered in its presence. You're either going to do this or you're not, and, it, and everybody there is, is doing it, right? They're just kind of going along with the throng. All right, now, one of the things that Often people you think about when, when you're reading this, uh, when, you're, when you've read chapter 2, which obviously comes before chapter 3, is you remember how chapter 2 ended? It was, it was like King Nebuchadnezzar said, well, praise be the God of Daniel. He's, this is a great God. He's a powerful God. It's, you know, he's the God that gave him this, this vision. And he told me not only what my, what my dream was, but he told, me, uh, or he told me not only what the dream meant, but what the dream was. was isn't this God great? Well, here we are. Um, and some people think this might be nine years later. They, they feel like there's a time period has passed because, um, you know, and this, it's not unreasonable that that's, you know, some time passed because just because it's the next chapter doesn't mean, you know, and the very next day, okay? Uh, now, sometimes we get that in the Scriptures. It'll say, and the next day or whatever. But, but so, so some time has passed, and we see this was, there was no kind of a lasting change with King Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll, Spend some time on that in a little bit. But 
um, if, you're, if you've been reading this, reading along with us, you realize, well, he kind of changed his tune. Now he's like, you know, that or maybe he thought he could have the God of the Hebrews and we'll just kind of mix him in with the other gods we've got, which would not be an uncommon thing to do. Um, okay, so, so here we have this, this uh, worship program, if you will, that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, all right? Now, in the next portion, you have the snitches and the second chance, all right? So if we move on here to verse 8, and this is kind of where there's a change. It says, therefore, at that certain time, excuse me, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Well, what comes to your mind? Suck up, right? Yeah, you, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, and bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews among whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Not naming names, but we'll name names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So those are the snitches, right? These guys, I think it's pretty clear they're probably jealous because of uh, they, these uh, Jewish young men have been, you know, they're foreigners, basically. They're, they're in a foreign land. They're brought in. They're put in these positions of influence. So these guys are probably jealous, and they're saying, hey, they're not following his edict. We're going to call them out right? And so that's what they do, all right? So this is what happens, and the king's going to give them a second chance here, as we'll see. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? It's almost like he couldn't believe it. It's like, you know, you know who I am, right? You know, I'm kind of ruthless and I kill people just for breakfast. You know, I mean, he's just, he's just saying, listen, is it true that you've done this? And then it says, now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. All right, now, so here he is. He's trying to give them a second chance, if you will, because obviously, and obviously he's very furious that they did not follow his order, right? And, but I, I, I did not read the last verse on purpose. I want to read it now. The part of that verse, um, okay, so it says, and, he, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? I, that's where I think the emphasis is, in my opinion, because he's, such, he's so prideful. In other words, you guys, you know, you're either going to do this or you're going to burn. You're going to fry in here because no God exists that can deliver you out of my hands. I am just you know, that, that much. I'm all that powerful. Uh, and so we see the pride in Nebuchadnezzar just continuing to come out, right? And so 
So the, the king's saying, listen, you know, you guys, here's your second chance. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, all right, so here we get to the, the refusal, right? He answered them and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, don't even worry about starting the, up the band, okay? Don't even start the music because we got an answer for you. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so there's this, their flat out refusal, right, to, to bow down. We're not doing it, right, period. And so this is what they're saying. They're laying this gauntlet down if you will, that we're not doing it. All right, well, um, this is kind of bold, isn't it? I mean, because don't you, I mean, don't you realize here, I mean, it's not just a story that's really happened. These, you know, life and death here. <laughs> and you, you can think about it though, you know, what, you know, humanly speaking, what are your chances of surviving this thing? It's like zero, humanly speaking. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm starting to think, you know, at, at just as a human that I would think there would be a temptation to kind of try to rationalize. I mean, it's just, it's bowing down to an image that means nothing. I mean, you know, in a sense, like it's just made of gold. We know that there are no gods other than the one true God. This is a, it doesn't exist even. It's just a, it represents something. But so, you know, how you could think, I mean, I could think that maybe in my humanity, I might try to somehow rationalize, just bow on the knee one time and let's be done with it. You know, uh, mom's back in Jerusalem. She's never going to find out, you know, I mean, just making this up, but you get the idea. You could think about, you know, nobody's going to hear about this. It's just, it's just in his presence here, the band's here, whatever, but but, you know, um, or everybody's doing this, right? Everybody's doing this. Maybe even some of their Hebrew brothers, we, we don't know. And so all of these temptations, I would think, would be there. I know, again, I know it's not in the text, but I'm just thinking being a human, there would be a temptation. Or even just to think maybe this is a one-time thing, you know? Maybe they got their eye on us now, but maybe later, you know, we could just not even worry about it. But they were resolute. They, they did not act that way at all. They just said, we're not doing it. We don't even have to think about it. We're not doing it. And I just want to take a few minutes to talk about what is it that would help someone have that kind of resolution before the Lord? What would help us stand firm uh, with great courage under fire? And there's a couple things that come to my mind uh, as you look at this text here. One is this, uh, I'm sure, given the fact that these, um, remember, these exiles that, they, that the king brought, they're nobles, they're well-educated, all right? Hebrews, Jews, these guys knew the Ten Commandments backwards and forwards and all the other laws, the food laws, I mean, all those, they knew them well. Well-educated Hebrews, okay? And so we know that. And so here they are taking a stand 
and able to do so because they knew what the word of God said. They knew it and they believed it. In other words, it was the, uh, it was the, if the Lord says it, it's so, and I'll do it, right? And so uh, take a look, if you will, in uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, if we take a look in verse 3, this is where we have, you know, the Ten Commandments. Uh, and it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water of the earth. Verse 5, Exodus 20 says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So here we have the first two commandments, right? The first commandment's like, have no other gods, right? The second is, don't make any images either, right? And bow down to those. And so I'm just saying, these men, they knew this. They knew what God asked of them and that their God was a jealous God and they, they should not do that. And they just stood on that. Right? They stood on God's word and basically said, you know, this is not some gray area that we can debate. <laughs> okay? No other gods and don't bow down to anything. That's pretty clear, right? So they stood on that and basically said, we cannot, we cannot betray our God. We cannot uh, forsake him. We cannot worship another God. And so um, this kind of resolution that the, in this case, it was the, let's say it's the government, right? The government is asking them to do something that is totally against what God has said, right? And so we see this kind of resolution uh, by the apostles in Acts chapter 5. Take a quick look at that. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Acts chapter 5, I'll, I'll um, go with verse 27 and then 4 to 29. It says, um, and so this is the apostles before the council. They've been, they've been dragged back in. They've been told not to speak in the name of Jesus. They're stirring things up. Uh, the implication is that Jesus' blood is on their hands, these guys that they're being brought before. So they're saying, it's your fault. You killed him, right? So they've been saying all these things, which is it's true things, right? And so then, so it says, and when they brought them, the apostles, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And this says in verse 29, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. That has to be the Christian's motto. We must obey God rather than men, right? The thing is, you got to know what God says. If you don't know what God says, you're not going to know whether it's contrary, right? If, if, 
if, if someone passes a law that's contrary to the word of God that, ca- that would ask us to compromise our faith. Right? So, so it's, again, it's important that we know the word of God and correctly understand it. I'm sorry, but I see a lot of crap on the internet when it comes to the Bible. False teaching everywhere. And, it's, and, and by the way, it looks good. I'm talking about the quality of these videos. I mean, they look so good. And sometimes from a human perspective, it sounds so good. But we have to make sure our faith is anchored in the truth or we will get swept away with false teaching uh, or even if it's not uh, any kind of Bible teaching, but something that society says is something that we should be okay with, right? So this is important. This is a, you know, I got, you know, we, I'm not a prophet, but uh, I do think times are coming, whether it's in our generation or the next, whatever, you're going to have to pick a side, okay? You will have to pick a side, and our side will not be popular. And there will be consequences for choosing the side of Jesus, okay? And I don't, I'm not saying that to scare anybody. I just think Jesus told us it's coming. He's not a liar, right? He said they will drag you before the court, okay? So, again, I'm not a fear monger. I'm just saying reality is you better know what you believe and you better know your convictions and you don't get, don't get them from Facebook and the Internet, people. Read your Bible, read it with believers, discuss it in community, ask your questions. If you got doubts, you got questions, ask them in community. Ask them of people who you know are serious about their faith, okay? It's, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. Like, I don't understand, you know, you know, about this. I don't understand about that. I understand what this means or how this fits in with what's going on in society. You know, it's okay, but don't just let it sit out there and like get your resolution on the internet. Okay? I mean, I love technology. There are some great things out there. We're using it right now. I mean, but I'm just saying, don't base your theology on something you read on the internet. Read it right here and learn how to study the Bible. Okay? We learn to study. I think the best way, personally, I keep messing with my mic. I'm sorry. Messing with me. Um, is that in community is really the best way, okay? Uh, with spirit-filled believers, that way we can, there, there's, uh, there's safety in that, okay? You know, and, and, uh, and I've, I've learned over time, and I'm still growing, that, okay, there's different views on this that are within the parameters of scriptures, but there's other things that say, nope, there's no room in there. That's it. That's the scriptural point of view, okay? And, and this is important. Okay, it's important. There are a lot of things at stake, right, in our world today. I mean, it's just as it's always been. You need to know what the Scripture says. I'll say more about that in our closing today. But, but anyway, these men, they were solid. They were solid. The other thing that they had a, a, a solid thing on was that, so, so the first one was that they, they believed and obeyed God. They believed His Word and they obeyed it. The second thing is they trusted in God's power and His providential care. 
They trusted in God's power and his providential care. Didn't you hear in the words that these guys are saying? They're saying, listen, uh, our God is able to deliver us, right? But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. So they, had, they confess their God, the one true God, is all powerful. He can do this. He can, he can save us. But also they trust in his sovereign plan. They trust in what he's doing, that even if he doesn't deliver them, that doesn't mean that his, their God doesn't exist and that he's not all-powerful. He just has, as a part of the plan, they might just burn up. All right? And they, and they resolve that. They resolve that. Um, so they, they trusted that. So I want to share some verses with you uh, just about that it would, I think, encourage you to trust in God's sovereignty in his providential care that he's in control. And I don't want to use Romans 8.28 because we always use that. Okay, write that one down. That's a great one. I'm not poo-pooing that scripture. I'm just saying I want to give you some other verses that also speak of God's providential care and his sovereignty. One is Ephesians 1.11, which says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11, who works all things according to the counsel of will. In other words, there's nothing happening, nothing without the counsel of God, all right? And that includes things that we don't like as a human. We don't, there are things happening. Everything is happening. It was within the purview of God's counsel of God's will. We have a hard time reconciling that because we're human. But the scripture bears this out time and time again, right? God is either in charge of all or nothing at all. You can't have it like he's in control over here. Oops, he kind of missed that one. He's juggling around trying to catch up. No, he is in control of everything that's going on. He's using the, our choice of our free will along, you know, within his plan, okay? Now, another scripture, Job 42.2. Job 42.2, Job says, I know that you can do all things. That's like those guys in the fire, getting ready to get thrown in the fire first. We know you can do all things. God is all power. Our God can save us. And it says, so he says, I know that you can do all things, Job says, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, there's a day coming where Christ is coming back. Nothing is going to change that. Nothing. Nothing can stop that. Nothing can stop what God has planned, all right? Lamentations 3, the last one I'll give you here. Lamentations 3, 37 to 39 says, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? That's pretty darn clear there. <laughs> Nothing's happened unless, unless God says it's so. And then it says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? pretty clear. It's pretty clear. All right. Our God is in a sense, large and in charge. Okay. That's what's, that's what the scripture tells us. And so these young men facing death said, our God can save us. He chooses not. It's just not in his plan. He's got something else going on. Okay. Now, so, so this, this idea that how, how, how do we face 
challenging circumstances when it comes to our faith, right? You got to be solid in God's word and stand on it and believe it so. You got to develop strong biblical convictions, okay? I've seen a lot of weak Christians get sold down the river of secular humanism in different areas, okay? Um, If you're not solid in your faith. All right, now, but you also need to be Realize that God is in control so that when you step out there and you're believing God and you you take him at his word, and if things aren't going to work out the way you think they should, you got to realize God's in control. His plan doesn't always line up with your little perfect plan, right? So we have to realize that. We have to have great confidence in that. Now, last thing I want to mention before we move on here is is just uh, something that I read uh, that John Piper said um, about Philippians 121. Philippians 121 says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Philippians 121 says. For me to live is Christ, Paul says, and to die is gain. Now listen to this. John Piper calls this the ultimate win-win scenario. If I live, I get Christ. If I die, I get more of Christ. Woohoo! We win. I just love that. That is the, I mean, you know, we're not making fun of death, but we're, you know, we're not seeking it out, but we're saying if we face it, we gain Christ. If we live now, well, Paul's like, I get to live for Jesus. And he says after this, and that would be better for you, Philippians, which reminds me, am I living for the sake of other people? Am I pouring my life into theirs to see that, you know, the reason I'm drawing breath right now is so that I can do that. And if you're a believer, that's why you're here. You're here to influence people for Jesus Christ and to help your fellow brothers and sisters grow in their faith. All right, that's, that's the purpose, one of the purposes. And, and, and Paul, there in Philippians, he's saying to those Philippians, uh, you know, I would rather, in a sense, go to be with the Lord Jesus, because wouldn't that be great? But if not, I'll stay here, because that probably means more benefit for you. He was constantly, Paul, you know, the, the incredible example of pouring his life out for others, right? Laying his life literally down sometimes to get the message out, but then also for his brothers and sisters, laying his life down, serving them, teaching them, discipling them. Because he knew he couldn't leave them baby Christians. He knew. He knew. And he said, it said, it said in, in the book of Acts, he said, wolves will come in among you with false teaching and will lead you astray. And so we, we have to. Um, we have to remember this, that, um, you know, maybe, maybe hardly any of us will ever face death because of our faith. But... What if you don't get certain benefits if you're a Christian anymore? I don't know. I don't know if that's happening, right? Not me. What? What? You know, this is it's something that's been. Uh, this is a little rabbit trail here. You know, um, something that's been looming out. Uh, this is. It's probably going to happen sometime. They're going to take away pastors' benefits. Okay, where I won't be able to have a claim of housing allowance that's tax free. Because somebody's going to say, well, that's not right, right? 
Plus, it's another great stream of income to pay for stuff, right? I'm just saying. If it happens, it happens. You know, my life won't be over, okay? But that's the kind of thing, right, that I'm just saying. Yeah, maybe you won't be facing life or death, but I think that you're going to be, um, well, what if, if somebody knows you have a certain scriptural stance on something, maybe you'll be passed over on the job for something, you know? I'm just saying, you got to pick a side. You got to pick a side. You better know and learn and be hungry to learn the scriptural view on the things that we face. Okay? All right. So, I know I'm somewhere back here in Daniel 3. All right. Okay. I left right off before. Nebuchadnezzar's going to just throw him in. Um, okay, verse 19, Daniel three nineteen. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, right? They just said, we're not doing it. We're not going to bow down. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, verse 19, Daniel 3. And the, the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's almost like he, he wanted them to choose the, his right way. I mean, this guy has a lot invested in these guys. He liked them. He, they actually were instrumental in helping him, right? So I think he's kind of like hoping they're going to choose his way. So, but it says his face changed against them, right? Uh, and then they, he heat, because he was so mad, he heated the furnace up seven times more than it usually is. And guess what? It overheated. And the guys that he sent to take them down there, so they tie up these three young Hebrew boys, and they tie him up, and the guys that they sent him down with there, it's so hot, these guys burn up. They're toast, okay? And then it says, the three young men fall into the furnace. So now they're in the furnace, okay? That was verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste and declared to his counselors. So these guys are standing around. Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a, is a, is like a son of the gods. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came, near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the, get this, Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. We got witnesses here, people. We got witnesses. These guys think all those same people that were kind of gathering out there for the initial dedication, at least a good portion of those are here, listed those groups of people. And he's saying, come on over here, man. Come on over here and, you'll, and they'll see these guys haven't been touched. It says the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Hey, I was at a campfire recently. When you go home in that jacket you had on, the next day you get up, it stinks like smoke. These guys didn't even smell like smoke. 
and they're in a fiery furnace. I mean, this is a Holy Spirit, like, force field. Something, I mean, nothing is, not even the smoke got to them. It's just amazing. Just, I mean, it just shows what an incredible miracle this is, right? And, and then in verse 28, it says, And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their god. So isn't this interesting, this, this little decree here? Um, so a lot of people are like, who's the, who's the fourth person? Who is that? Right? Who is it? Uh, you know, the only thing that's said about it is there in verse uh, 20, um, 25, it says one appearance of one who's like the son of the gods. And then uh, the way Nebuchadnezzar characterizes it is as an angel. Okay? Um, so is it an angel? Is it Jesus Christ pre-incarnate? I don't know. Could be. Could be Jesus. Before coming down on the earth, I don't know. Could be an angel. It doesn't really matter, I don't think. The point is that God uses this agent, whether it's Jesus himself or an angel, doesn't matter, to save them, to protect them. God was with them in the fire. And he is with us when we step out and live for him. He is with us. Emmanuel, God with us in so many ways. We have to remember that, right? There are believers all over the world in hostile territories who I'm sure, I would think cling to this truth that God is with them. Cling to this truth. The Lord our God is with us wherever we go. So many times Jesus said this, you know, you think about um, in giving the Great Commission right before he leaves and ascends to go to be with God the Father, right? He says, he says, right, he says, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And what did he say? And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Those disciples needed to know that the Lord Jesus was going to be with them, right, in the person of the Holy Spirit until he comes, right? And if you, if you just read some time on how all these apostles died, some of it's tradition, some of it's recorded. It wasn't pretty, right? And so we need to know that when we take a stand for the truth, regardless of what happens, the Lord's with us. You know, some people, some of your friends might not be friends with you anymore if you take a stand for truth, okay? And that's hard for us to swallow, you know, and, and maybe, you know, because you, you don't want to offend anybody, but I'm just saying, there will be things that you will need to stand for that will offend. It's just going to happen. If you're going to be true to the Scriptures, true to the Lord, like these young men, so we have Nebuchadnezzar's response here. But let me just make some, a comment about that before we end this here. And that is that, uh, it kind of ties into what I said earlier. You know what I said? Well, 
At the end of chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was all about the God of Daniel. But then some time probably passes, we said, people think, and things have changed. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, polytheistic Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, right? And uh, all kinds of gods and, and so on. And, and here again, we have him singing the praises of this God, of uh, these three Hebrews, right? Uh, the one true God. Um, but notice what he says. I think it's interesting. He says, uh, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 28, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, right? And they yielded up their bodies, these guys did, rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Verse 39, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. I just find this interesting. It's not like he's, we don't have any indication that the statue came down. We don't have any indication that he is, he is thrown out all the other gods and sticking with the one true God. The only thing he seems to do that I can say for sure is he has, a, he has an infatuation with the miraculous. It's amazing to him, right, that that God, this God could speak to Daniel about what his dream was and how to interpret it. It's amazing to him that these guys could be delivered from the fiery furnace. It's miraculous. It is, for sure. But I think, so far, at best, he's just enthralled with the power of God. Right? He, he's, he's kind of seeing how incredible this is. He's like a fan of this God, but he's not really willing to kind of jettison the other gods, I don't think, okay? That can happen in the church too. I don't mean the polytheism, but I really mean people can come in. Well, I could, I could say I could happen, but, but typically, um, you know, some people, they, 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 they love, maybe they just love the powerful worship sometimes they experience, or they, they might, uh, uh, you know, they might just love the Benefits that come from being a part of a church, you know, that the people are loving, they help me, you know, and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's like, you know, they're, they're wonderful things. You know, they're like fans of Jesus. They're Jesus fans. But sometimes those Jesus fans, I'll call, they, when the heat gets turned up, are taking a stand for Jesus and what the Bible says on something where are they? Where'd they go? They're not faithful followers. They're fans. Fans of what Jesus can do for you. That's why it's really a danger that I think when we share our faith, we don't say, come to Jesus. Look what he can do for you. Right? Look what he can do for you. Hey, I'm certainly not going to deny Jesus can do many things for us. But you don't come to Jesus that way. You know what you do? You come to Jesus realizing you're a worm. You're a sinner. And that sin separates you from God. And there's only one solution to get you to God. And that's repent, which means turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Repent and believe. You don't do that. 
At best, you're a Jesus fan. Liking what he can do for you, liking some of the trappings. You know, in Hebrews chapter 6 and 10, there are some passages that talk about people that kind of taste of spiritual things, but they're really not Christians. They, they even experience maybe some things uh, that are benefits of being a part of the body and even maybe have been influenced spiritually and by the Holy Spirit, but yet are not believers. Okay? And so, um, you know, there's no question where these three Hebrew young boys were, where they stood, was there? There's no question. And that's not to say that if you ever make a mistake and fail the Lord and deny him, that you can't be restored. Don't we know somebody that did that? Three times. Peter, right? But he did turn back, right? Yeah, there are going to be times where maybe under pressure we, we succumb. But we do, you know, if that happens, we need to repent of that. It's very challenging, uh, and I'm going to leave you with this. Um, you know, I'm get, what I'm getting here at is, is that King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't think he's a true believer. <laughs> yeah, I think he's just, uh, he's, he's just a fan. Uh, one of the other, he's just one of the other gods, but he's enthralled with this one right now because he's seen some things. And Where are you? Have you chosen Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know, what about that Joshua passage I mentioned earlier? Choose this day whom you will serve. If you've never given your life to Christ, what is stopping you? What's stopping you? Jesus has paid it all. He's paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. But you do need to acknowledge the fact that you have offended God and that you actually do deserve separation from God. We all do. Romans 3 says uh, that, that there is none righteous, not one. None seeks for God in our flesh. Nobody's going after Jesus and wanting him in our flesh. No one comes to the Father except he draws them. Some people have a hard time with that. I don't have a problem with that. But that, you know what that says? Salvation has nothing to do with you and everything to do with a seeking God, right? Whose love is seeking you out. So my question is, do you sense him seeking you out today, want you to come to faith and admit your need for a Savior and say, Jesus is the one and only and be willing to Take off all the idols that you've set up, most of which have to do with self. Pretty much we're all there <laughs> initially. It all comes down to self. Will I take self off and put Jesus on that throne in his rightful place and say, I want you to be my Savior and my Lord? Some people want Jesus as Savior, but they won't want him as Lord. And I don't think you can really separate the package, guys. He is the Lord. He is the Savior. So we need to see that when we come to faith, following Jesus 
means not just benefiting from the incredible, incredible gift of forgiveness that Jesus brings, but it means now I'm a person on mission for Jesus Christ. And now my job is to learn how to be a faithful follower, not a fan. Will you do that? You have to answer that. Will you accept Christ as Savior? Will you follow him faithfully? Wherever that takes you, wherever he leads you, and that's a hard thing to say yes to when you don't know what he's, gonna, what he's got down the road. But that's what following Jesus is. That's what he calls us to. I got one last verse. Sorry, Charlie. One last verse here. Matthew 13. I'll close with this. I promise. In the, in the, uh, the parables um, of the kingdom there, Matthew 13, verse 40. Remember, we've been talking about fiery furnace, right? And there is a judgment coming. I've never been characterized as a hellfire and brimstone person, but probably somebody could do that today. Because you can't escape it. You cannot escape the reality of judgment. Um, sorry, I'm finding my way there. Matthew 13, verse 40. It says, just as the weeds are gathered... So, so he talks about you know this kingdom as being like it has it has the has this the good seed and it's got the weeds. It's all mixed together. Not unlike any church you walk into. There's weeds and seeds in here, guys. All right, keep that in mind as we look at this. He says in verse forty, he says, "Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age." The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into what? The fiery furnace. Well, I don't think that's an accident, except for this is not just some temporary fiery furnace, because it goes on to say, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell, okay? That's hell. And then he says, Then the righteous, so let's get some good news here, right? So the the fiery furnace is for people that don't believe in Jesus and have not truly been converted. Like I said, in the parable, the weeds and the grass are all together. That's the way it is at my house. I've got weeds and and grass there all together. But come a day, Jesus says, I'm coming and in this kingdom there, there's, there's people that really don't belong to me. And I'm taking them up, and they're going in the fiery furnace. That's very sobering to me. I have a fe- there's a fear that comes up within me, a healthy fear, okay? This idea that, you know, God just always wants you to feel good and happy, and, and just he just always wants you to not feel concerned about something like this, you know? No, you need to, you need to fear the Lord. Okay, this is a biblical thing. Okay? We all should. Yes, he loves me like a dad, but I, you know, I feared my dad too in a healthy way. So he's saying that the righteous will shine like the sun 
in the kingdom of their father will be with the Lord forever. That's what's going to happen. This is our future. The judgment is coming, right? And people, you know, we need to take heed. We have ears to hear. Let them hear. If this is if this is scaring the hell out of you, good. I mean, I mean that literally, right? With hell itself, we want. You should have a fear. I, you know why? I got saved because I, I was afraid of hell, but also I, I realized I was a sinner. It was both. All right? And all this junk about all my friends are going to be there too? Crap. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they're going to be in there. They're going to be in, they're going to be in darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's, that's just, that's humanity speaking, making fun of something that seems to be crazy to them. But listen, the Lord Jesus, he gave himself for you. <laughs> he gave himself for you so that you could be saved from the fiery furnace. That's what he's done. He's paid it all. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's already shown his love for us. We just need to accept it. Will you do that today? Will you live for him? Will you make a lifelong pursuit of learning and doing God's will? And when you mess up, you just get back up and you go on with the Lord. Okay? That's what he calls us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. It's a very, very sobering thing. These young men were faced with death. That's very sobering. This is not just some children's story. This is reality. These, these young men put their lives on the line for their faith. And we read in Hebrews about, in the hall of faith, we read about all these people It says in Hebrews 11, verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Lord Jesus, make us worthy. Let us follow hard after you, Lord. I don't even know what that's like to face things like these people faced as mentioned. Lord, help us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to... to to not try to be fence sitters on things that you can't sit on the fence about. That's contrary to the word of God. Lord, help us to be ones who stand for righteousness, who stand for truth, because that's what you say. Regardless of the consequences, Lord, help us. Help us to stay faithful. And Lord, if anybody in this hearing, this message today has not bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord and Savior. I pray that they would accept him in their life today and say, yes, Lord. I know you're the one and only Savior and I want forgiveness and I repent of my sin and I want to live for you even though I don't even know what that is, living for you. But I want to do it because I sense your spirit drawing me. Lord, thank you that You say, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe 
So anyone who believes that will be saved. That's a promise from God. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.